When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it's Fulhamish Podcast, the final show of January. Thank you for downloading this episode. My name is Sammy James. I'm joined on the podcast this week by Ben Jarman. Good evening. Jack Collins. Hello. And Farrell Monk. Hello, everyone. Can you name me a more iconic trio? I'll wait. Oh, I love that. There we go. So we've got loads to get through on the podcast today. We'll be looking back at a mixed week as Fulham mauled the Tigers at the cottage on Sunday lunchtime. Uh, We produced a royal blip against fellow playoff chasers Reading. Uh, The anything but special relationship between Fulham and Derby took a new twist over Crexit. And we'll also be casting an eye over the latest transfer rumours and dealings. But first, I think we're going to start in an anti-chronological order. Uh, Fulham threw to the fifth round of the FA Cup after a convincing 4-1 victory over Hull City. And um, Farrell, you were there with me yesterday. It was an upset, technically. We beat a Premier League side, but it didn't really feel like it. It was so justified, the result. Yeah, absolutely. We spoke about it last week that although we were home against the Premier League team, that we all felt pretty confident going into it, considering not only the form that Hull were in and the the lack of players that they had. I mean, you just had to look at their uh, their team setup and their subs bench to actually know that that was the case. And they weren't they weren't fielding a second string team. That was the only team that they could actually fill. Um, and even just watching the game, if you had never seen two, two the two sides before that you would probably think that the Premier League team were Fulham and the the Championship team were Hull. Um, and as that's certainly the case for the full 90 minutes. Hull were never on top in the game. We controlled it from start to finish. And the scoreline probably was reflective of the play, which is probably the first time this season. Um, ben, I saw quite a funny tweet. I can't remember who it was. I'm sorry if you're listening. Um, I'll give you some credit on Twitter if you let me know. But they said... Uh, QPR and Reading clearly did some homework uh, when playing Fulham. It looks like Hull just didn't bother. Um, Not taking away Fulham's brilliant performance, but they let us play with ease, and as a result, we managed to get such a convincing victory. They did let us play with ease. I would 100% agree with that. I think the way that we set up on Sunday completely negated anything that Hull's system could throw at us because they were playing five at the back and only two or three in midfield at times. And when you have Huddleston in midfield, who's not the most mobile guy, um, flanked by Evandro, who's effectively an attacking midfielder, it's going to be easy for us to play through them. And I think going forward, we got the combinations going, we got the transitions going, something we didn't do against Reading and and QPR. And we cut through them, especially on the flanks, um, considering that they had wing-backs there. It should have been a lot harder to do. But yeah, um, QPR, Reading certainly done their homework. Hull didn't, and they paid for it. Um, there were several good performances, Jack, um, across the Fulham side. Uh, for me, Shawnee Aluko uh, takes particular praise against his former side. Uh, an excellent finish for the first, and nearly scored a wonder goal after a dizzying run um, through the Hull defence, and he just got away from him. Would have been an amazing second goal. Yeah, Shawnee Aluko seems at times to think and turn very briefly into a you know a pale imitation of Lionel Messi but he he sort of goes through these really random phases of play where he'll go from nowhere to to, to suddenly being exceptionally you know unplayable for about 10 seconds at a time and it's a really bizarre trait he'll 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 beat players and he often looks like he's confusing himself and i said this to you at, at reading that he looks like he's able to confuse defenders by often like making making him his own head a mess which does seem to work in in some circumstances and that the Maisie dribble against Hull was wonderful to begin with and then he sort of bumbled through a challenge and then it looked like he had really good feet and then he sort of just bashed it into the side netting so it was all a bit of a you know zero to a hundred to zero in a very short space of time but yeah a good performance and it was his pass um, that split the Hull defense just when Hull had got back into the game at 1-1 
um, a real splitter uh, through to Ryan Sessegnon, who squared it to Chris Martin. And Ryan Sessegnon really uh, was the man who took the headlines. Um, it's amazing to think he's only 16 years old. Well, Steph Joe thinks he could be a world-class left-back if, if we see all the articles that have come out today to be true. But if you look at it, this, for a 16-year-old player to be playing at this level and scoring this many goals and setting them up and being this incisive, it's really hard to see the sky not being the limit for him. But there is a little bit where you look at the, the lapses in concentration against Rotherham. Yeah, he can work on them. Um, there's plenty of time for him to become an even better fullback. And you look at the likes of Luke Shaw at that sort of age, who was probably nowhere near the standard of Sessegnon is. Uh, he's still only 23 and has a lot of work to do. So if Sess uh, Cess can get to that level fairly soon, then I think we've got a good chance of getting a hefty transfer fee for him if we're not already in the Premier League. His fitness levels for someone who is that young is quite remarkable. Someone who hasn't really grown into a the you know probably hasn't gone through puberty that much to actually sort of grow <laughs> the muscle strength and fitness to uh, thanks for L. That's all right. Looking at you as well, Jack. By the way. Um, <laughs> To be able you just to mean actually... he just hasn't grown into yeah, his body yet. Yeah, he hasn't yeah. got the cardiovascular capacity of a full-grown man. Just yeah, yet. exactly. Thank you. Man, his voice hasn't broken. Comes <laughs> out on a post-match interview like, yeah, 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 it was really great. I'm really happy with my goal and an assist. <laughs> While he's there playing Pokemon Go or yeah. something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's not knock it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like you, for someone so young to have that much energy and fitness is quite remarkable. Um because you don't like it is that case that you will you won't actually get your fitness um potential max until you are mid 20s probably so and he's just up and down that wing all the time i think is there's a lot of people that were saying that he the comparisons to gareth bell are quite natural and they said that gareth bell turned into a natural sort of winger i don't actually see that with Sessegnon that much because his sort of moving onto the ball and running from deep is a lot better than someone who is an out-and-out winger who might actually pick it up deep and then move backwards and forwards and take fullbacks on. It doesn't seem to be his natural game so much. I think it's actually sort of making those late runs and getting inside the fullback rather than taking him on is more of his, his natural position. We saw it when um, he came on against QPR and played sort of like left wing and then right wing and he did pick the ball up on the byline and tried to take a few fullbacks on. It didn't seem to be his natural game. No, for me, it's if he's going to turn into like a Bale or anyone that's basically transformed themselves from a wing back into a winger, it all relies for me on power. <clears throat> if you look at Bale, that transition came when he stopped being a slight, you know, 17, 18, 19 year old and turned into a powerful, full blown left wing machine, like, uh, like 23 years old. And the same with Ronaldo, he went through that mm. massive transitional period when he stopped being a boy and started being a man. And then all of a sudden his career just took a, a massive upward turn. And I think Sessegnon could do that, but he, he's got a few aspects of his game to work on before he has to think about power. Um, interestingly, uh, myself and Farrell went to the game yesterday with a Man United fan. Quite a funny story. We were late. We were about half an hour late to the game, Farrell and I. We played for the same football team. It overran. Um, and the guy that was dropping us off, uh, Irish United fan, lovely bloke, and about last minute he went, oh, I, I fancy coming to the game. So he did. Uh, and he sat down and um, just before Ryan Sessegnon's goal, he said, uh, how much do you think he'd cost? <laughs> <laughs> and obviously now after what happened yesterday, um, the vultures are going to be circling above Motspur Park for Ryan Sessegnon. But he needs to stay at this level for at least a few more years if he's to transition into the player he can do. There's no value in him going to somewhere like Man City and just sitting on the bench. Are you hoping, hoping. that Ryan, are you hoping that Ryan yeah. is listening right yeah. now? <laughs> Farrell didn't mean what he said about yeah. puberty. <laughs> <laughs> There's no value, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I think he's obviously worth that kind of much money. And if you start to look at where he's going to develop. I think Slavisa is doing an absolutely wonderful job, and someone mentioned this on Twitter as well, of managing the amount of games he's getting and keeping him in the squad and then without putting too much pressure on his shoulders or giving him, you know, over overwork or, or putting him in for games on the trot and starting to really wear him out early. So I think that he must understand that he's been given the right kind of treatment and the kind of plaudits as well that are should be coming his way. And I think that if he 
you know, has a football brain and is as intelligent as he seems to be. And he seems to be a very down to earth and, mm. you know, and, and flawed character in that he will understand the kind of setup that's going on and that it might be better to him. And especially if he looks at the players that have left, you know, he looks at Pat Roberts and goes, OK, he went out to City for big money, but he's actually gone out on loan for 18 months. Why he'd see the value in going and doing something like that ahead of playing first team football for Fulham something that Roberts wasn't getting, I suppose, in, in, in retrospect, is, is is something that he has to consider and surely he will look at that and go, probably not yet. What is the deal with his contract? So he can't sign a professional contract, can he, until he's 17, which I don't know when his birthday is. I think maybe May. It's May, yeah. yeah. It's May. Um, but I imagine there's talks a, will already have begun. There's he's a pre-contract signed pre-contract, by all yeah. accounts, yeah. Yeah. It's all done, basically. And then I assume... Will it, do you think it would be like a long contract or do you imagine his agent wouldn't let him sign anything? It's got a £150 million release clause in it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think many details have came out about the length no, of, um, of said contract, but being at that age, there may be a restriction on how long the contract could be. I'd imagine Potentially, so, Potentially, yeah. so it's something we could look into, ready for next pod, but... If anyone has an yeah. answer, tweet us. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Sunday was Fulham's first FA Cup win over a team in a higher division. Since when? Guys, 2000. Year, 2000, year 2000, when we beat Wimbledon. Now, it's an impressive stat and one that pretty much all the reputable media organisations um, blasted about yesterday. It doesn't quite take into account that we've only played two teams in that time that actually are from a higher division, uh, which from memory is Man United in the season that we got promoted when we lost in the third round. Was that at Old Trafford? Yes. No, 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 no it, it wasn't. Was no, that was because, because um, Fabrice Fernandez scored a wonderful free yeah. kick. That's the one. And then a couple of seasons ago, we lost to Sunderland in the fourth round of the FA Cup last in a, season. In a replay. Yeah, and then last season we went out to championship opposition. Um, got me thinking, though, about misleading stats like that. There's always a few banded about and they, they bring them out just because they need, they've got column inches I've to got fill. One. I've got one relevant for this week. Yes. Fulham have never beaten Burton Albion in the league. At, ever. At, ever. At, yeah. Ever. And I presume that's because we've not played them we've many never, times? Never, no, once. We've played them once, yeah. And right, okay. One all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in this season. Like, in, that's, that's I can that. imagine like a news article somewhere has gone, Fulham's miserable run against Burton Albion in the league <laughs> <laughs> carries on after the draw. Yeah, so that's one. There was uh, one about Griffin Park earlier in the season. That Anyone? is crap. No, that's a fact. No, yeah. not a misleading <laughs> fact. There's nothing misleading about that, mate. <laughs> I just wanted to get that one out on it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think it was that we hadn't won at Griffin Park for 60 years or something oh, but, yeah, in the yeah. league, but I think it was because we'd only played there once or something yeah. ridiculous like that. So that The one, one that I, I was um, thinking is when you get go to major tournaments, and this summer was quite notable for that because it was the first time that Wales or Northern Ireland had played in major tournaments for years and when Wales got their first win and Northern Ireland got their first win the news was all like it's Northern Ireland's first win in a win in a major tournament for 30 years <laughs> it's like it's the first time they've played in a major tournament for 30 years <laughs> Um, if you've got any more misleading stats uh, that we haven't mentioned, uh, feel free to tweet us at FulhamishPod or email us, FulhamishPod at gmail.com. I was um, watching, as years ago, I was watching a game between Manchester United and Aston Villa and um, it was just about to start and it was the commentator when oh, Villa haven't won at Old Trafford for 35, 40 years or wherever it was. So it's a bit of a bogey round, Old Trafford. I'm sure it's a bogey ground for a lot of teams, to be honest. <laughs> it's a bit of a bogey ground, uh, Wembley for Liechtenstein. <laughs> They've never won there. Uh, so we'll have the reaction to the fifth round draw uh, in a few minutes. Before we have that, any particular teams that we'd love to face in the fifth round? There's some corkers in there. There's also a few ones we'd like to avoid. Uh, would you say the non-league sides are the eye-catching ones? Uh, Lincoln and Sutton, amazing that two non-league sides have reached the last 16 of the FA Cup. You want to take them on because you think you can get through to the next round quite easily, but mm. if anything, their form over the past couple of matches suggests it wouldn't be as easy as we think. Um, I don't know, I'd quite like a, I'd like another Premier League side. Oxford United away. Oxford, yeah, yeah that'd, that'd be nice. nice. That'd be nice. Chief train. No, it's, you, can go on the old, um, you can go on the old Oxford tube. Yeah, you can. Oh, yeah. yeah, on the bus. That weird little bus that goes up to Oxford <laughs> and it costs about a fiver. Yeah. That'd be a great day out. I, I want Sutton United away because I can pretty much walk to the ground from yeah, there. Um, so Farrell and I uh, sat with someone called Billy. You guys know Billy. Yep. 
and um, he was possibly the only person in Craven <laughs> Cottage yesterday not excited that we were winning because now the Bristol City game uh, is postponed on <laughs> February the 18th. Uh, midweek last week, he booked his tickets and accommodation for Bristol. Not only that, he'd seen it as a like excuse to go away with his missus. Oh, Bill. And now he can't get out of it. <laughs> so um, he is desperately hoping that it's a dreadful draw. He's hoping Huddersfield away, City away, Middlesbrough away, away any yeah. of them, just so that he makes himself feel a little better. So um, I'm extra hoping for Sutton just to uh, rub salt in the wounds uh, for, poor, <laughs> for poor old Billy. Poor Bill. Um, so let's move on to the Reading game, the league game uh, that happens on Tuesday night at the Medeski. Do we have to? We do have to, I'm afraid. And I know you've got a lot to say about it, Jack, so I'll, uh, I'll let you go in just a second. It was against playoff chasing Reading at the Medeski. A win would have put us two points off the playoffs. Alas, it wasn't to be. And Roy Behrens, is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, Behrens' yeah. penalty rebound was enough to get Reading a big three points. Um, Jack, you were devastated by the performance, as we all were, but particularly you. I just can't stand the Majeski, but (laughs) everything about Reading away really, really upset me. It just has got to be up there with the worst things ever. You had the whole of Berkshire going for you after you decided to tweet about your frustration about the entire of Reading. Yes, because someone tried to to mug me on the way home. As in, I I got back on the bus to the station and I went to go and get a drink to bring on uh, on the train back with me. And some bloke, in full view of the fact that there was about five police cars around me, was just like, what you got for me? And I was like, I, are you a cretin? I was like, what? what? I was like, if I shout <laughs> help, there are five police cars here. He was like, you're lucky. I was like, no, I'm not. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're a little bit lucky, though. So that, you know, that, that added, you know, a cap to the night. But more importantly, we were just so lacklustre and we just looked like no one wanted it. There was no drive, no sort of vision, we just completely and utterly bottled it. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not even going to mention the penalty because if we'd scored that penalty, we'd have robbed Reading of a point and they weren't good. And I think that says it all. We were just absolutely diabolical. And some of the attitudes on there on, on Tuesday night, I, w- I was not particularly happy with. It was very poor form at the end when uh, very few, if any of the players... A couple did. In fact, in fact, Chris Martin came down. Um, Legend. Yeah, <laughs> Captain Leader Legend. He, um, knew the, he knew the news that was about to break yeah, in two yeah. days' he time. Came, he came down looking visibly upset, and whether that's a you know a ploy or a thingy, that's you know neither that. But Tim Ream came down, and and Martin came down, and Scott Parker came mm-hmm. down. But uh, TC stormed straight down the tunnel, and considering TC was completely anonymous for the entire game, um, for him to throw his toys out of the pram like that was a, a sore point for me, especially considering how you know poor we were. And, you know, that's not what you expect of a club captain. If you want to read my article about club captains, <laughs> sake, um, then it's on the, the Fulhamish website. I, I, I've got to sort of just play a bit of devil's advocate. I, was, I actually disagree watching it. When I was watching it, I, I just thought overall the better team won, which hasn't happened a lot this year. I, I think that Reading not only moved the ball a, a lot better, especially out of defence to midfield and sort of passed it round us quite easily. They also had... Uh, when you know when you're looking at Fulham, we are very good at going to, going through the channels and going through the motions and turning defence into attack. Reading were good at that, but they were also just going a bit more route one. They were not flick ons or anything like that, but just playing the ball over the top. They seem their attackers seem to be a bit more industrious than us, and they're able to expose us um, past our back line, um, which I don't think Fulham could actually deal with. It was the first time that a team really exposed us, not just through passing, but the ball over the top and it kind of gave us another dimension to think about and maybe our defence was exposed by that I don't know if Reading did their homework with that and thought oh we can get Fulham with the ball over the top here or that's how they usually play well they, they yeah. were they, we were completely <clears throat> outplayed from, from start to finish yeah. and Slavisa employing a 5-3-2 and th- there's very little I complain about in terms of our tactical you know mm. nows but it just seemed like a really odd game to start five at the back Yeah, considering you know that you know, Derby had gone through them, had gone through Reading the week before three 0 playing really direct and really, really attacking down the channels. That it, it seemed mad to go to a more defensive strategy. And I don't know if Slavisa maybe thought get in there and get a point. I don't know if he thought that. You know, five three two can be used in a very like a lot of varied ways. Like you use it like Holdo to try and keep the goal yeah. out or the ball out in there, or you use it 
how I think Slavisa may have intended to do and try and get Fredericks to keep bombing up that right wing the whole of the match and not really have to worry about anyone covering him. But I thought we were slow, we were ponderous, we like couldn't get into mm. any sort of rhythm. We were just... we. I saw a tweet just after the game and it said, we're a really good team, but in the past two games, all we've done is beaten ourselves. And I think that yeah. really, really rings true. And the, the, the performance against QPR was nothing short of terrible in my opinion just because yeah QPR had a had a clear game plan but we were again we were quite negative we were ponderous we were very slow we looked one dimensional and we just really benefited in beating ourselves because mm. towards the end we started to lose the plot the players was were kicking out of people pushing people over there was a scuffle on the bench and then against Reading it was slow it was ponderous again and then you look against Hull we revert back to the formation we like, the system we like. We were a lot more industrious. We clearly had the transitions work back into us. And, you know, it's all rosy again. Mm. Big shout out to Dennis know. Odoi, who yeah. was really good on Saturday. Yeah. Um, really good. Could I have thought. got a goal. It was a yeah, great yeah, save. Yeah, but, it was, um, but he just, uh, that was the uh, one thing that Fredericks was, you know, it was against Reading was, was really quite poor. And looked like he needed a rest. And it wasn't, you know, that's not anything about, yeah. you know, Frederick's attitude. He just looked like he was completely burned out and he just didn't have, the, you know, the stamina to go again. And that's the whole thing yeah. about the system because when we play 4-2-3-1, our fullbacks push up. So we almost play with like the old 2-4-3-1, which yeah. is like the old... Um, Systems they used to play in, in you know, like <laughs> yeah, the if, you read, if you read the numbers game, there's a big section about it, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, about so um, it's one of those things that we look, but with it with three at the back, that completely distorts that because we don't, therefore, even if those two fullbacks push on, we lose a man in the middle. Yeah, yep. so it it's a it, even if we play it as you're saying in, yep. in the intentionally attacking way, it takes one of our players yeah, out exactly. of that final third, and we look like we missed. A key, a link. When, when, no yeah, link. when you play that five-three-two, that we our focal point is the person that plays behind the striker, <laughs> and when you play a five-three-two as well, like you say, that man is taken away from that point. Um, so I think it was slightly a wry tactic from Slav. And then I think I've had a time to look at this a bit rationally, but I feel like the squad depth here is re this is now where it's really starting to hamper us. I thought it would be Christmas where we'd go on a little bit of a dodgy run. But now towards the end of January, these players have played a lot of games and the, yeah. the 11 basically picks itself. And even with Aite gone to AFCON and Cabano as well, that squad is looking very, very thin. And even if we let Matt Smith go and we've let Corley go and we've let Lassa. LVC go as well, that squad is very thin. Even mm. we get s s seven signings in, in the next 48 hours or we continue to play with that 14 or 15 and... The only criticism you really should have of Slav is that he's trimmed what was quite a big squad down into probably a core mm. of about 15 players tops. And although a lot of the, that was shit. Edward, yeah. Yeah. Well, now we've got a much higher quality. You, you, know, need, you need some you need, quantity you as well. Need, yeah. You do need strength and depth. It's, and that's where the championship teams like Villa are going to benefit. Especially with strength, because one thing that uh, Reading did really, really well and just picked up on it that, that QPR did from the week before was that every time... Tom Kearney looked like he was going to pick the ball up. Tyler Blackett was on him straight away. And it meant Kearney kept on going back and back and back. And as we mentioned the week before, that we were saying that Kearney almost became like that Gerrard-type yeah. quarterback, quarterback, yeah. quarterback role, which doesn't work for him. So if Kearney's not working, I mean, it'll take a brave man to take him off. The fans would probably crucify him if he's... No, I think they wouldn't. Uh, if, they, if he played Especially as badly as he did game, against Reading, yeah. then I think they would, they would be supportive yeah. of it. And, you know, I think Jack made a pretty good point that you could take him off and put Piaz on in the middle, and I wouldn't be adverse to that. I just don't think it wouldn't really sort of change the dy yeah. the dynamics of the team, though, would it? Like, but that's just... the thing about Piazon is he's obviously such a, like a hard working graft of a player. Yeah. Like, he's obviously not as talented. That's not you know that's not up for grabs. Yeah. But like he does make those sort of runs up and down and sort of work hard. And we won the penalty because purely because yeah. of Piazon's industry. It was a good pass from from Tom Kearney. Yeah, so. it was. But it was, the, the, it was the fact that, you know, Piazon had come on there in that three and had just, he didn't do very much, but he did run around yeah. and, and cause a bit of a nuisance. So. It certainly did get better in the second half, but we were still second best for a, a long, long periods of that game. Uh, you've mentioned obviously a lot about the tactics and stuff and as poor as we were it was quite an unfortunate penalty to concede did you think that it was a soft one or do you think that Tim Ream was a tad naive 
I can't remember who he pushed over. I think he's naive. You can't expect to push a player in a box and hope the ref doesn't see it. Yeah. I don't Even know though I that don't... player was never getting to that ball because David Busson was going to catch it, it was high in the air. Yeah, it was such an odd one. I think probably Tim Ream was thinking, I'm just going to muscle him out of it, but just kind of muscled with a bulldozer, not with a feather touch, really. And, you know, there's all one trying to get into the right position, but in that situation, he, it was just a bit reckless. Yeah, I just don't think he needs to do it. Button's claiming it. And Button would have claimed it whether Ream was there or not. Mm. Because... Funny enough, he can use his hands in the box. Yeah. And <laughs> like the ball was up higher than the bloke's head when yeah. Button caught it. So it was one of those yeah. things where it was completely unnecessary. I don't I don't think it was that unjustified. At the time I did. At the time I was like, <laughs> what is going on? I can't believe yeah. he's given that. But yeah. actually it it was soft, but it probably was a pen, yeah. I mean, to in be the honest, last three games, our centre backs have been slightly erratic, shall we say? I mean, say, I mean yeah. Callas against QPR was like very uncharacteristically erratic for him. Mm. And then Ream against Reading and then, oh, Callas again at the weekend. I was going to say, we looked a bit shaky at the back, yeah, even too. in our you know mm. dynamic victory at the weekend. Yeah, It is nice, though, to actually say that in terms of our defenders that we're saying, oh, we've been slightly erratic. It's a massive improvement on the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Slightly Bring erratic back, is like not conceding five and it's been four this week. We'll take that. <laughs> okay, so we have just watched the FA Cup fifth round draw. I know it feels like magic, because it doesn't feel like we went anywhere, but we did. We took a break, watched the fifth round draw, and we now know that Fulham will face Tottenham Hotspur in the fifth round of the FA Cup. This was our live reaction as we listened to it. 14. Oh, oh, oh. Home draw. Fulham. oh come on. Fifth round for the first time in six years after defeating Carl at the weekend. Here we go, lads. Number one. No! Oh, oh, Joe Chris Who is that Fulham fan? Luca. Hello, Luca. I mean, that's actually a horrible draw. That is a horrible draw. That's decent. Oh, no, it's Spurs. <laughs> In my defence, I didn't have my glasses on when they pulled the ball out, so I couldn't see what number it was and just automatically assumed it was Derby and Leicester, which was at the top. <laughs> <laughs> which would have been an interesting matchup, but it's a London derby. Last time we faced Spurs in the FA Cup was a glorious afternoon, the 4-0 victory uh, when Moussa Dembele, the first, scored that wonder goal for would, in the end, turn out to be his club. But... Um, it'll be an interesting one. Spurs are playing in the Europa League on the Thursday before, so almost definitely going to be another Sunday match, uh, quite frustratingly. But, I mean, there's no getting away from it. It's going to be a difficult tie. Spurs are bang on form, despite a couple of blips and a very shaky performance against Wickham. Yeah, but you would expect them to make a, a few changes. I mean, I don't want to tap into the Alan Shearer conversation because it's a long one. Mm. They could probably do a whole podcast on it in itself, but... We expect them to make a few for a few changes just because they're coming off the back of that Europa League we're on and they're probably going to be gunning for the title. Um, they played Cameron Carter-Vickers against Wickham. So yeah, you could expect them to have a, a few different players playing there. Uh, probably have Janssen up front as well. Maybe Son playing out on the left. But I think the most interesting thing is seeing Jokanovic's footballing identity go up against Pochettino's one. They're very... Pochettino has a very clear mentality and identity and I think Slav is now trying to build that here at Fulham so it'd be interesting to see how they both match up against each other. It'll be the battle of the fullbacks, won't it? Yeah. Uh, Rose and Walker versus Malone and Fredericks. Doesn't sound like much on paper but it could be an interesting one. You'd imagine it'd be Cess. Cess and Fredericks. Maybe. You know, four wonderful English fullbacks on yeah. one pitch <laughs> creating waves <laughs> I was thinking that though. I was saying about earlier about when we were talking about Ryan Sessegnon that you know you look at the kind of player he was and when we were saying about converting to a winger and you haven't seen someone like Danny Rose go up and do that and you, you'd imagine that that's kind of the model that you, that Sess would be looking mm. at to kind of try yeah. and emulate yeah, and so and body type as well they're quite yeah. similar in body yeah. type yeah. I'd say and, and you could say this you could argue the same for Fredericks and uh, Fredericks and Walker so it, it will be an interesting one especially if that's the, the thing it would be a very yeah. very interesting battle of two younger kind of coming up to being emulating mm. fullbacks against the two fullbacks who are arguably you know currently the best in the country so mm. It'll be an exciting one for us. I'm, I'm excited. And Farrell, the, um, the atmosphere at Craven Cottage is going to be brilliant. You'd imagine uh, it'll be a sellout, and there haven't been too many of those since we've come yeah. down from the Premier League. I'll be bringing my rattle with me to generate an atmosphere. Oh, of course you were, and your big hat. And my big hat with up the cut, and one of those 
I, I've never seen anyone do it at the, at the cottage, but one of those sort of um, silver foil FA Cup <laughs> you do see sometimes. Um, yeah, it's going to be a cracking one. I do hope that lots of Fulham fans end up buying a lot of tickets. We don't just give the whole Putney end to the Spurs fans because they will bring a big following. Um, I think we have to, actually, unfortunately, because of the FA Cup regs. I think we have to give um, something like... 6,000 tickets to Spurs. You have to give up to a quarter of your stadium at least if it's the cup. Really? Yeah, I don't think we have a choice, I know, unfortunately. I know, you, I know there's a much larger maximum allocation you can give in the FA Cup, but I don't know what the, the regs are, actually, whether you have to or not. Okay. In the league, it's 3,000, isn't it? Yeah. Or yeah. a stand. Yeah. So that's why we've got the neutral end. Yeah. So yeah. we don't have to give up a stand. Yeah. yeah, true. But we tend to sort of go, well, it's neutral, you can buy lots of tickets. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it should be a really interesting cup yeah, tie. Yeah. I, I just hope that, you know, it's just not a complete walkover. I'm really, I, I'm actually really excited for it, to be honest, because although, you know, they're going to be odds on favourite, like massive odds on favourite to win the game, because, you know, when I watch Spurs, they are a really good footballing team. They've got a great balance to the team, and they've got one hell of a player in Moussa Dembele controlling things for them. Um, but, you know, Fulham are consistently a good side, apart from... Reading and QPR aside. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> part of me still sees Spurs as the Spurs that they used to be when Fulham were in the Premier League. Obviously, times have changed in three years, and now Spurs, um, you know, they ran it pretty close last year, nearly came second, not quite. And <laughs> <laughs> sorry, one, of my, one of my favourite Sundays. <laughs> and obviously this year, they'll be gunning for the title. You can't see them making up the eight points on Chelsea who just look unstoppable. They're going to be there or thereabouts. But I still will think of Tottenham as the team that Fulham could get a result against because we often got results against Spurs back in the Premier League. Apart from when Carl Walker handballed it on the line that time. <laughs> that game never happened. <laughs> Only you remember that game. No, I, re- I remember <laughs> oh, I remember it, definitely. It didn't happen. It came up, it came up, my, came up my time hop like, not long after you yeah. mentioned it and it was like, I'm so outraged with Carl Walker right now. <laughs> yeah. He literally handled it on the line. But, yeah. Well, it's going to be an interesting one. Almost definitely going to be on Sunday, the 19th of February. And, of course, when we get towards that game, uh, I'm sure we'll cover it more at the time. So, let's move on to Crexit again. (laughs) Getting pretty bored of this one. Rewind. (laughs) (laughs) Should we talk about Ross McCormack as well? And let's just mention penalties. We haven't talked about that all season either. So news broke on Friday that Chris Martin has signed a new contract, not with Fulham, no, that would be um, that would be outrageous, with Derby County keeping him there until 2020. Chris Martin said, I'm really excited and happy to be signing this new contract with Derby County. They're a fantastic club with so many things going for them and a driven desire to reach the Premier League. I am very happy that the club and the manager see me as part of their long-term future. I'm committed to being as successful as I possibly can be with Derby County. County. Now, what do you make of what has happened here? There was some fans outraged on Friday, and understandably so. On one hand, Derby are entitled to offer a new contract to their player. You know, if you have a house, you're allowed to remortgage it, even if there's a tenant in there. But it does seem like poor form and slightly unnecessary um, from both Derby and Chris Martin. I think they're both equally to blame here. What do you guys think? I'd like to congratulate you on your analogy first and foremost. That was wonderful. Which one was that? The remortgaging one. Oh right, yeah, <laughs> a lovely, a lovely little seg there. But um, yeah, I, I, I get the feeling. You know, I said at the start of this season that Chris Martin, I thought, was an intelligent football player. <laughs> I'm starting to get the feeling that he might not be. I'm, I, I just considering he came out this week before this and said. You know, that he, you know, he was trying to make amends, explain the penalty thing and, you know, to get, had this interview with Get West London where he was like, look, there were situations going on behind the scenes that no one knows about. I'm going to try and prove it with my feet and the fans were just getting back on side and it was, it, yeah. it just, it, it, it sort of beggars belief to it's a point where bad, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, bad PR, isn't it? I mean, like, the whole situation just reeks of bad PR. You know, someone, no one's in the background just talking to Derby, Fulham or Chris Martin going, guys, just stop what you're doing and take a moment before you actually talk. Breathe. Breathe, everyone. Take a step back. Like, yeah. what's going on? Like- but you can see why Derby would want to do it because, well, they don't really care, do they? I don't think they care. No, <laughs> otherwise they would have waited till the end of the season to announce something. The, the strange thing is that... Where's the thinking behind it? Because we've still got an option on 
on Chris Martin. But isn't that now null and void because Chris Martin's not going to sign for us? No, because we've still got it in a loan agreement which is originally there. Mm. But... Well, he could just... I, sp- I suppose he's not a slave. I don't know, it really... <laughs> could <be a> slave, <laughs> you, you know, could turn it down. You so could imagine the end of... head explode. Yeah, Chris Martin's contract right at the end, the last clause is where, you, you know, as soon as you sign this, you must say this on Twitter or wherever going. I just feel like if they were going to sign this contract, they should have done it now and then just waited till the end of the season before announcing it. From then on, you know, we mm. can make a decision on his future. We can decide whether we want to keep the option or not. Um, or go out and buy a new striker. And then I also feel as if this could be done, maybe this is just me looking at it in very obscure way and potentially a very left-field way, mm. is that he's signed this contract because the current deal he's on now, Fulham, when we take up the option to sign him permanently, if we did, we would have to take up his contract, which is something that we were unwilling to give him an enhanced one. Mm. So he's gone to Derby and said, OK, give me like a five grand a week pay rise. And then we're obliged to pick that up if we sign him permanently. Yeah, why like, would Derby do well, that if like, they didn't I want I don't him? know why they would do that. I just can't yeah. work out in my head. Yeah. It literally just confuses me. Every, the whole thing about the whole thing for the past month or two has just been absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah. It has sent the fans into an absolute tizzy about it all. And maybe that was the plan. I, the only thing is it's I've just the ultimate troll. <laughs> I've started to see, you know, we've, we've, we've got suddenly the, the support of most of Nottingham Forest who have decided their fan base are just going to pretty much support Fulham just to wind up Chris yeah. Martin now. I've always He's liked like, Forest. Oh, yeah, yeah, love Forest. Great club. <laughs> <laughs> um, Can't wait to see you on Valentine's Day. Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to it. But romantic Tuesday Romantic forest. Tuesday with all the Forest fans that now love us. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, it's one of those where you're like, well, they're were like just can't wait I really really hope Fulham get promoted and Derby don't now just so Chris Martin can shove that contract yeah. you know where the sun don't shine did, only... we, see, did we see um, Slav's comments I after the game just about to say that the only said the you best go... Derby striker is in our dressing room yeah. oh, <laughs> he seems to be the only person out of this that's come out well Jokanovic it's been great PR for him I just love how strong a character he is yeah. like how he's not backing down and letting anyone walk all over the club or him and he's just that's what I fucking love about Jokanovic is he's given us a backbone other managers and other parts of the board wouldn't. We'll now get another uh, explicit note next to uh, this podcast on iTunes. <laughs> nice one, Ben. It's Always dropping the, <laughs> dropping the yeah. bomb. I'm sorry. It's fine. It's fine. So I asked on Twitter earlier, um, did you jeer or would you have jeered Chris Martin yesterday? It was quite bizarre. I don't know if I've ever really seen it, certainly at Craven Cottage, and I can't even remember it at too many other clubs where fans booing their own player during a match, uh, but it definitely quite strongly happened before the game. And there were even rumbles of it as Ivan announced Chris Martin's goal after he scored when Sess set him up. It was quite incredible. Mm. Now, I don't think any of us really would condone it, but can you understand it? I can understand it, but the pragmatic mind goes... What what benefit is that going to do to any anyone or any or Fulham or you or anything about it? It's absolutely incredible that people would think that's an acceptable thing to do. When when I first got into the ground, it was I could hear every touch was like I mean it's it must only be a handful of people, but you can certainly hear it. And when he scored, I actually turned around and told them all to F off, <laughs> basically, <laughs> from behind a lot of other people. You know, I'm not going to start a fight or anything. Um, but it was just... Big man alert. <laughs> <laughs> Keyboard warrior. That's what I did. I tweeted. I was like, have some of that. <laughs> I was yeah. like, F off. Who said that? <laughs> I was uh, saying boo words. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, Jacob Jackson on Twitter has an interesting one. He says, cheered for the player that got the assist. A little small ounce of Martin giving props from where the goal was created. So I assume he's saying that he, he cheered, he cheered Sess, not Martin. not Martin when Martin scored, which which is a bit of a rogue one. But I see where you're coming from, Jacob. Um, as Stephen said, never during the game, as in booing, counterproductive and lacking class. I just imagine, like, during the game, he's, like, clapping and cheering him on, and then as soon as the final whistle goes, boo! <laughs> or see him in the car park, boo! It's not lacking class now, Chris! <laughs> but Stephen how looks like gonna... a classy bloke in Venice. He's got a black tie on. Um, how long is it going to continue, though? Are we going to be there in the fifth round against Spurs, booing him when we really need all the support they can get? Are we going to be there on the playoff final on May, um, May the 29th? I mean, we'll probably be on the beach, but... Um, are we going to be booing 
him then. How long does this continue? Well, he will be if he's playing for Derby, as yeah. was randomly <laughs> highlighted this week by Slav. It was, that was rogue. No, he'll be in the dressing room. Jukanovic so will be like, no, you're staying in the dressing room. You're not allowed out and watching yeah. the game. You're banned. <laughs> yeah. No, one of those. So, we, yeah, a bit odd. But, you know, I can see why people are doing it. You get pent up in the frustrations of things. And, mm. you know, after my antics at Reading, I'd be a fine one to talk about, you know, lashing out at players. But... <laughs> just seems content to fuck us over every weekend. It's just bizarre. Like, it's yeah. new but, he, but he played really well and he, he put in a really good shift. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like he was, you know, lethargic. Oh, you or... that he's by, by far and away one of our best players. Yeah. You it's so annoying. That. He's really be good. Yeah. Because he is so good. And he, that just shows how much of a professional he is yeah. and how professional the rest of the team are that they can just get on with it. Yeah, I think there's a real togetherness about the whole team. And we've spoken about mentality so many times this year that it's above and beyond what we've ever seen from a Fulham side before. So to see them all together, even though this obvious situation that no one wants to be in is over the top of us, is, is really, really positive. Um, I personally wouldn't have booed Martin. I don't believe booing a player of your own team is. I don't know, is warranted regardless of the situation. When United fans were booing Fellaini the other day, it's just terrible. It's poor old Marouane. Yeah, poor old Marouane. I remember, uh, it must have been about 10 years ago now, and West Ham fans were 4-0, uh, West Ham were 4-0 down against Reading at, at half-time and then loads of them left and whatever. And I remember that was the first time that a team had ever been booed by their own fans and it had been literally unheard of before that. And I remember it was all, oh, you're not fit to wear the shirt. I remember yeah, that particular game. Yeah, it was quite nasty. There was a huge discussion on Match of the Day about whether booing your own team was was acceptable and the panel were completely unanimous going, that is absolutely disgraceful, that fans booing their own team. And then all of a sudden, over the next sort of five years ago, it's sort of developed and now it's kind of the norm to boo your own team if you're not winning or boo your own players because you don't think they're playing well. It's I find it absolutely mind-boggling the the transition in such a short space of time. And even you hear pundits going, "Oh, they've got quite they're quite right to boo their own team." When ten years ago they would have said, "No, that's disgraceful." The only time I've ever thought it was a reasonable <laughs> response is when we were two 0 down and had played the most abject performance in the world away to Brentford last year. That was the you know that was bad. That was the low point I think for me of of the kind of Fulham championship slide. And I think there's a wider... Just outside of Fulham, I think there's just a wider conversation to be had about tribalism and like irrational thinking in football. Yeah. And, and booing. Like You can get a team that's top of the league, but if they're 1-0 down... Let's say Chelsea are 2-0 down to half-time against Sunderland, and they will probably get booed off the pitch. Like well, That's how irrational and fickle football fans have become. Well, Liverpool on Saturday against Wolves, 2-0 down at half-time. Liverpool were poor, don't get me wrong. And they've been on a bit of a slide. You know, They lost to Southampton in the Cup and they also lost in the league last weekend as well. But this is a team transformed under Jurgen Klopp, looking so good under Jurgen Klopp. And he's got a really youthful, energetic team. And it's a matter of time before, if he stays with them, it's a matter of time before they win a trophy or two because he's got such a great philosophy and he's so charismatic. Yeah. And even Liverpool, and I, they're always a club that I think are a little bit better than most. They're fans in general. And I know there's lots can be said about Liverpool. I've always had quite a lot of admiration yeah, for I them as a club agree. and what they do. And even they booed against Wolves well, at half-time. There was clop-out shouts. Uh, it's just incredible. It's madness. I, I remember... It's the, the talk sport culture. That's what I like to call it, anyway. Yeah. Like, the thing where you, you your team's lost, you ring up and you f and blind down the phone, you get those two idiots on the other end that try and roll you up and then you make a, a, a stupid statement and then that's what, it just snowballs and everyone who's got half an ounce of a brain thinks they agree with you and then it all becomes a movement. There's a link. There's a. There's. A, I think there's a link to the fact that you know James Tompkins now costs twelve million pounds in today's game, and the fact that you are now expecting players to turn up and perform every week. Mm. I know someone's referred to the kind of like transfer blossoming as as the Tompkins effect, um, <laughs> because of like. I mean, I mean, in what world is James Tompkins worth twelve million? That's absolutely. <laughs> in like, what world is James it, Tompkins getting a name for something? Yeah, but like that's it. What like, what's is, going on? Like Hangerland scouting his own replacement and coming up with James Tompkins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did think that in fairness. But yeah, we're just it's one of those, I think that now the people expect that, you know, these players are on so much money and, you know, mm. I, don't, I don't want to go into that conversation because obviously it's a, you yeah. know, a minefield in itself and I don't think it's a conversation that 
football fans need to really have. But I can see why people then go, you're getting paid this amount of money, you are worth this amount of money, and you won't, you know, run up and down the wing for 90 minutes. Like, you can you can see, you know, why the people get frustrated. I just think that often we need to take a step back oh, and yeah. take a breath. And I, I, I think it's it's kind of a poison within football fans in general that it becomes acceptable to abuse your own players. Yeah. Where I just don't feel like if, if I was to put myself in a footballer's shoes or boots, that how will I be endeared to the fans and start playing for them if they're booing me, they're not supporting me in at my low points, that I'm going to start sort of rewarding them, you know, throwing my shirt into the crowd, whatever, at my high points. Have you literally just quoted, like, have you just um, sub-quoted Marilyn Monroe on this show? If you, don't, if you don't like me at my worst, you sure <laughs> as hell don't deserve me at my best. <laughs> this Facebook profile header, isn't it? <laughs> I might set it now. <laughs> you talk about the talk sport culture. Is the Fulhamish culture going to bring <laughs> yeah. it completely back the other way? Yeah, we're going to... The breeding, revolution. Breeding a class of rational thinkers <laughs> back into football. You're lucky, listeners. So, um, just before we finish, we'll have a quick look uh, at some of the transfer stories that are doing the rounds um, this week. Um, not that much going on. And again, with the whole irrational football fan, lots of Fulham fans very upset that we haven't done any business. Now, we're recording this about 28 hours before the window... Slam shut. Um, Sammy James in a yellow tie. I'm the Jim White of the future. (laughs) My whole career is prepping up to be Jim White's number two and then I'll take the mantelpiece. Um, So there's not that much going on. I don't know where I went with that. Um, uh, There's not too much going on. A few rumours flying about Tom Kearney to Middlesbrough. I was thinking yesterday, if Hull are looking for a replacement for Robert Snodgrass, they could do a hell of a lot worse um, than Tom Kearney. Mm. Um, Say it quietly. A triumphant return. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, I don't see Tom Kearney happening at all, do you? It would take one hell of a bit. Well, now... Now Matt Smith has left, his best friend has gone. Yeah, but he's only going to SW12, hasn't he? And for a mill. A mill for Matt Smith. In what world? Someone's giving us a million pounds. And his contract is up at the end of the season, isn't it? (laughs) One million Ugandan dollars (laughs) for Matt Smith. (laughs) It's going to be them uh, coins from Harry Potter. (laughs) Leprechaun gold. (laughs) Um, Two niche references in a quick succession from Jack Collins. Someone tweeted me as a QPR fan earlier and he said, um, just send me the link, like, Matt Smith, any good? Oh, I was like, oh. Yes. Don't yeah. tell him, don't <laughs> tell him until it's done. Absolutely well be, <laughs> Ten times Chris Martin. Oh, poor old Matt Smith in fairness. He actually did put himself about a bit. He's not very good. I, actually, I don't mind Matt Smith, but... I don't you know, mind Matt Smith as a bloke. I think he's probably a well-nice geezer. I think I think he might fit into the Holloway system, though. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Yeah. Well, also two up front as well. He might work quite well with Jamie Mackey or Idris Asilla. Oh my God! No one's working well with Idris Asilla. Not <laughs> <laughs> any more handballs. Disgrace for football player. Um, so then there was two loan transfers in the week. Uh, both Vegan Christensen and Corley Woodrow going to Burton Albion. That on the whole, got quite a positive reaction from most of the club's fans. Um, seems like a fairly sensible move, mm. especially for Lassa. We'll be hoping that he continues um, the form that he showed in his first game on Saturday. A lovely assist. Yeah, really um, yeah. that there is testament to the, the talent he does have somewhere yeah. within that, that within himself, that he can see what their defence is going to do two or three steps before they do it. Um, but then, uh, like, Corley, like, I'm just numb. I just don't care. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll, it'll, it'll be the making of him. And we did, you know, uh, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. We wrote an article about Corley Woodrow. (laughs) (laughs) And it's all about how it could actually be the making of Corley Woodrow. So, you know what? I hope he does well. I hope he goes out there and does well. And if little else, it could just be that he goes there, scores a couple of goals, and increases his transfer value. I don't know. I saw a tweet. The other promotion candidates. What do you do if you know oh, yeah. got to the last Agent, day of the season? Agent Woodrow, Agent Woodrow going in, Burton Albion derby, scoring six, three penal- seven, scoring three penalties. <laughs> The scenes. Who was the uh, agent Trotter? With yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That was but I just, I just think with Woodrow, like I saw a tweet earlier, something about like why is someone in his twenties sat in a grade A academy at Fulham is with a Merc and a Louis Vuitton wash bag? What else does he want to do? You have to get out there and earn your stripes, and I think that's Corley down to a T. Like, he thinks the world's at his feet, and well, let's see. It's really not. Let's see. 
Well, I I think it's a good I think it's a Come good on, deal for both Fulham and Burton, um, because I mean we all know that the talent that Las Vegas Christensen possesses, and I think for Woodrow it's a really good move for him because he's going to get first team football. He's going to get his confidence back up. And, I mean, I do rate Corley Woodrow. I do see potential in him. Yeah. I can see a massive head shake from Ben Jarman right now, but it's not putting me <laughs> No, I me agree off. with you. Um, <laughs> he's not... <laughs> Stop breaking our explicit vow. <laughs> <laughs> and what, all footballers are not massive wankers. They're all lovely people. Leighton Baines is a good lad. <laughs> good honest hard working lad yeah. only because you two shared a haircut once upon a time he's got a great soccer bible playlist you should check it out <laughs> um, and then the other loan um, the other loan signing in the week was Thanos Petsos um, don't know too much about his footballing ability at the moment but what, what a, a beard. beard he certainly Amazing. would fit in in this podcast panel oh he would well, he's he fitting in your side of the table yeah not one of jokes I mean Ben, I know you've done a little bit of research on him. He just seems to be... Oh, maybe you haven't. <laughs> Look, just I, take that bit out. <laughs> no, I've got to confess, I've never seen Thanos play. Um, one of uh, my good friends on Twitter, Sonka, is a German, um, and he's... he's <laughs> so automatically and knows it, no, he does, he does. Sonka is a German. <laughs> very, very well. It just says he's, he's a runner, he can pass the ball very well, and what a little I've seen of him in... And Berman is exactly that, a little. He used to play for Vienna, that's all I know. He, he his second or third touch, he literally picked it out out his feet, thumped the ball. And it was it was um He understood what shoot meant. Yeah. <laughs> the Hammersmith <laughs> end absolutely <laughs> cried at him and he uh, he responded with exactly what they wanted. Yeah, Has he got did. a pile driver on him? Yeah. Could I mean, he be the new Karagounis? Yeah. We love, we love a Greek midfielder. Not so much a Greek striker. No, we <laughs> love a Greek midfielder. Well, I never saw him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, on Wednesday, um, Jack and I and Ben, if he can find some time, uh, may be doing a little bit of a Facebook Live on um, the dealings that happen on transfer deadline day. We'll look back at our reaction. That's if there are any signings. If nothing happens yeah, between we're not now do it and Tuesday, we're not just going to sit there for 10 minutes and discuss nothing. Talk about um, someone else's clubs. Yeah, we, we might do yeah. a championship yeah. round <laughs> <laughs> All the players we should have signed. Oh, yeah. Welcome <laughs> to the Fulhamish podcast, the foremost transfer roundup for the championship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All the Barnsley players we should have signed, but everyone else signed. <laughs> don't it's still sore <laughs> if you don't like our page yet go follow us uh, don't follow us like us sorry I'm getting my social medias mixed up facebook.com forward slash Fulhamish pod okay so we've reached the end of this week's podcast secretary Jack uh, please can we have a title for today's episode as always uh, in homage to Ben's outburst earlier I'm, I'm going to name this one Oh no, it's Spurs. Or Farrell. Oh, no. Oh no, it's Spurs. Thank you. <laughs> it was quite an outburst. It was it was he was just doing his best session your impression. Next year it'll be oh no, yeah, Spurs. Oh, no it's Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> Lol. Well, run twice in a row. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that title, Jack. Nice one. Um chaps, thank you for joining me on today's podcast. We'll be back next Monday. Actually, Ben, you won't be here, will you? You're I absent won't. for the next couple of weeks. You're off I, on a Super Bowl day off, aren't you? Yeah, I've got a Super Bowl day off next Monday and then uh, the Monday after it's my girlfriend's birthday. Reasonable excuses. Reasonable yeah. excuses. Give you that. Uh, Jack and Farrell, you'll be here next week. Yeah. Obviously. If, Ob I'm, if I'm still invited. If you're still invited. You're always invited, Farrell. You'll always welcome Farrell. Uh, um, so uh, we'll be back next week discussing the Burton game, uh, which is on Wednesday night at the Pirelli Stadium. We've never beaten Burton Albion. No, never, <laughs> ever. Will wow, we get okay. our it's first ever win? They're our bogey team. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> and then we're up to St. Andrews on Saturday to face Birmingham City. Two trips to the Midlands in just a few days. Uh, start of a big February, really, for Fulham. Um, apart from the Spurs game, which you may forgive Fulham for not winning, uh, you're really expecting almost maximum return from the games that are in February. And so two quite big games if we're to kickstart a late surge towards the top six. Indeed. See you at Wembley. See you at Wembley, chaps. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> Bye. Toodles. That was largely enjoyable.